You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm Helen Farmer and this is a brand new Farmer's Kitchen and we're eating our way around the world today, meeting chefs and restaurateurs talking about Afghani cuisine, taking you to Vietnam with a brand that's about to go global that started right here in the UAE, talking Greek food and a Lebanese pop-up that has gone on to be an absolute sellout sensation. Plus, talking sustainability with private chef Vanessa Bamer, and we were hearing what would your last meal on earth be? You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are quite literally taking you around the world on the food front this afternoon, from Afghanistan next to Vietnam, to Greece, Lebanon. Um, and I have to say, Afghan cuisine is something I've had but once in my life, and it was at Kishmish. We have got founder Aman Nazimi joining us today to talk a little bit about the cuisine and, and the origin story. Aman, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really, really well, really well, except I'm worried you're going to make me hungry. And I'm so full that I almost had to have a little lie down on the carpet next, next to the desk. So <laughs> maybe we could save the delicious food chat towards the end of our, okay. of our segment. Now, I, I think we all think that the food in our home countries is something special. And that's not just because of the flavour profile. So a lot of it's to do with the memories and the occasions and the sharing and the nostalgia. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your kind of home experiences growing up on the food front. Where did you grow up and who was so cooking? I grew up in London and my entire family was living in London. And my grandparents kind of created a mini Afghanistan in their home. Oh. And it was most dinners during the week, Sunday lunches. We were around this large Oakwood dining table and she lived somewhere called Oakwood Port. Right. Um, and we would kind of share meals and share stories about the old Afghanistan and, you know, their childhood and their youth and how they grew up and the food that they ate. And we did this all over Afghan food. We had rice for lunch and dinner every day. It was just something which was always on the table. Isn't that beautiful that that became a medium for sharing stories? Because it would have been so easy for that to have been lost yeah. in, an, in another country. Yeah. So how precious is that then? And so can you tell us, okay, go on, I want some food chat now. What, 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 so <laughs> rice, what else, what else was being served up at that beautiful table? Um, so because of Afghanistan's location on the map, we have a lot of influence from our surrounding countries. So we have uh, influence from Mongolia. Um, we have Iran, obviously. Then we have spices from India. And it's we always say this, it's like a melting pot of all these different kind of herbs and spices and recipes and traditional things which have kind of all come together in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So we have dumplings. We have noodles in our soup. Um, we have rice. We have grills. We don't have many fish options because we're landlocked and we only have like two types of fish which are in the rivers, but that's about it. Um, but it's quite familiar for everyone, mm -hmm. especially here. Um, there's a large Indian community here, so they find our food quite similar. And the Iranians also find our food similar. Um, the G GCC nationals also find our food similar because they also have the meats and the rice and everything. 
So I feel like everyone finds something that, you know, feels like home to them. And this is what I keep hearing every time I kind of interact with our guests. That must be really special to be hearing their memories of, yeah. of their homeland and growing up as yeah. well. You don't come from an F&B background. No. Tell us a little about, about the decision <laughs> to start a restaurant. So I love cooking. Cooking has always been, since I was really young, my therapy. It's my love language. If I love you and I care for you, I will cook for you. And this has always been evident when it comes to, to me and my way of showing love. Mm. Um, when I came to Dubai, I realized that there were no Afghan restaurants which really tasted like home. It was all mixed with something or it was a fusion of something. Um, and it just... It made me sad that the ones that there were here either weren't authentic enough or it wasn't somewhere you would really want to go sit and eat. Right. So it was either misre misrepresentation yeah. or just not a particularly pleasant environment. Now, I've been, as I said, to a restaurant, Kishmish, at Darwassel, super close to where I live. And you've just opened last week, second yes, brunch in Murdiff. In Murdiff, yes. Tell us a little bit about putting together the aesthetic. Obviously, the menu is important, but... You know, we don't just go out to eat. We go out to escape yeah. sometimes as well. T what, tell us a little bit how about people putting those pieces together. Um, so for Dar Wassel, we did a renovation um, in 2000, sorry, 2000. Yeah, yeah. 2021. Um, we kind of brought more Afghan influence into the place. Um, lots of hand-woven lanterns by Afghan women. Lots of carpets, which were really old on the walls. Um, kind of shelves which display our pickle making process and our pickles and our spices and we tried to bring in as much as we could still keeping it kind of modern but you know adding all of these touches um, a lot of photos um, on the wall which kind of showed Afghanistan as it is today for Merdif my husband who's into furniture was like you know what for here we need to do something totally different so it's super contemporary um, we try to show a lot of the architecture. So when you come, I hope you come. I'd love to come. Um, the entrance kind of looks like these um, clay kind of fort walls. Oh, wow. Um, it's, it's that effect. Just to show you like the different architect. Our country is really diverse. So there's a lot of different architectural styles. So we try to incorporate that into the restaurant. We have the modern look from, you know, like all the paneling, which they brought in in the 1920s to Afghanistan when we had European architects come and kind of build the city. Mm -hmm. Then we have this clay finish kind of wall, which is how the villages look. And oh, then all the palaces with the arches. So we have a light fixture, which is all arches, and it kind of represents that. Uh, lots of carpets. Um, and then... My sister-in-law actually found some amazing antique Avon clothes from like 200 years ago. Wow. And she's framed them and she's put them on the walls so actually real today. So celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you, what does Kishmish mean? Raisin. Raisin, does it? Does <laughs> yeah. it? We've run out of time, but I want to ask you one last question, man. If we're going to come to either of your branches, as you yeah. said, just opened in Murdoch Avenue Mall and Darwassel in Jumeirah there, Darwassel Road. Is there a dish that you feel like sums up your foodie philosophy or what you're trying to share with people, whether they are familiar with the cuisine or they might be having it for the first time? 
honestly, impossible. There's too many, <laughs> but I do have an ice cream guy from the streets of Kabul making hand homemade hand churned ice cream. So I would suggest you come to Merida and you try that. Iman, thank you so much. Huge thank congratulations you. on thank you so much. juggling busy family life of opening a second branch and really celebrating everything you, that you love on the food thank front you. and sharing that. Sounds amazing. If you want any more information on that, you can just send me the word food. I will send you the link. But it's Kishmish Dubai on Instagram. If you do fancy a nosy at what sounds like those beautiful interiors and definitely some sensational food. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Here to bring you the latest foodie news is the editorial director of Connecting Travel, Sarah Headley Hymers, is with us because the world's 50 best restaurants extended list has been revealed. Sarah, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on the show. Good. Thank you for being with us, especially short notice. This is literally fresh off the press. But tell us a little bit about, I guess, for context, World's 50 Best Restaurants. What is that about historically and how does it work in terms of voting? Because we haven't got the top 50 today, but we've got 50 to 100. But what is the whole concept about to begin with? Well, it began as the world's 50 best restaurants, but then it expanded. So now it's effectively the top 100 restaurants in the world. And what they do is they release the top 51 to 100 ahead of the main top 50 being announced Mm -hmm. just to drum up interest in the event globally and get everyone talking about it. But more importantly, and something I'm all for, is to show more love to more chefs. Mm-hmm, absolutely, it is a very respected and trusted list. So the more chefs who get a look in, the better. And this um, can be a reputation maker. You know, when we think about oh, some 100%. of the... You know, so we've seen restaurants I, I like go through the ranks and be crowned, you yeah. know, number one restaurant for, for years on end. And it's been, it's, it's, it's made careers. Yeah, I've been, I've been travelling this list for over 20 years. So every year when it comes out, I have an Excel, Excel spreadsheet of which ones I've been to and it's like a game of snakes and ladders so some will move off so then I'll lose points and then some will come on so so yeah it's, it's a game that I'm never going to win but it's a game I enjoy playing oh my but, goodness um, I think what's important to note is that the 51 to 100 aren't necessarily any less important than the top 50 so um, that's the perception and the reality is that judges can only vote for places that they've been to in the last 18 months so what this is is the places that they prefer out of the places they've most recently visited. It's not the judges' all-time top favourites. So it allows for new restaurants to get a bit of spotlight. But being in the 51 to 100 is no, you know, it's not that you came second. Being in that top 100 list, everyone's a winner, basically, as far as I'm aware. So in terms of the judges, who, who is, who's this trusted elite that put forward where, you know, where they've been enjoying the last 18 months? They are um, culinary gurus of one source or another. They might be food critics, food journalists, chefs themselves, or restaurateurs. So it, it's people who are really on the industry front line. So this is why it's such a trusted list, because you know that the information is coming from people. They're anonymous. They have to pay for their dinner. So there's no bribery. Mm-hmm. There's no swaying people's opinions. And people are traveling quite far to go to these restaurants. So, you know, you wouldn't just go within your own region. Even within the voting, I think there's something like you vote for a certain amount within your own country or region, but then you have to vote for a certain amount outside of that. So the people who um, are voting are people who travel to eat. So, you know, they're spending their hard-earned cash on this. You can trust what they're saying. And and, 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 and happily this year, we've got um, a Dubai entry 
in the 51 to 100. And um, it's Chef Gregoire of Oceano, which I'm just absolutely thrilled about. He's a genius and he's a Michelin star winner as well. And now Oceano is on the world's 50 best list. So we're, we're super pleased about that. Good. Um, I'm thrilled for him. I really am. He's in at number 87, I think. Uh, around 87, that? yes. Chef yeah. Gregoire. And the big news recently was that Tristan's studio landed two stars, two Michelin stars, after having one Michelin star in the year previous, the inaugural year for Michelin. So we've all got our fingers and toes crossed that if we've got anything in the top 50, it will be Tristan's studio. So we want all the listeners to cross their fingers and toes and hope that Tristan Studio gets gets a spot in the top 50. I but do. well yeah. done to Oceano, because like I say, everybody in the top 100, to me, is an equal winner. Well, when we look at you talking about, you know, people including yourself travelling to visit some of these restaurants and the names, you know, over the last 20 years are just phenomenal. You know, El Bully dominated for years and years. Noma, which we now know is closing down. Fat Duck up there a lot. And it was very oh, European-centric, yeah. you know, or Sero Francescana from um, my... My favourite uh, chef, yeah, chef Massimo. I know, got, I know you've got a crush on him. I've got a mad crush on him. <laughs> I, I really do. <laughs> but, but we've had a few American entries in there, and I have to say, Middle East representation—it's just so so important. It really, really is. What were some of the trends yeah. you've noticed coming out of this year's extended list in terms of cuisines, um, or indeed um, ones ones to watch if we're maybe travelling over the summer, Sarah? Well. A lot of the listeners I know are UK listeners or UK expats. So for those who are and they're going back to the UK, um, we've got three that are based in London. So London's having a moment to have three restaurants is good in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's two of them are in Shoreditch, trendy Shoreditch. That's Brat, which is Thomas Parry's Basque Eatery and Lyles, which is just so cute. It's in the old sugar factory in Shoreditch. And um, that's like a stripped back British eatery. They're both a bit, you know, you, you wouldn't want to do a tasting menu in there because it's a hard wood seat. It's nice to be in and out for lunch. And um, the other one out of the three is called by Claire Smith. But I've been trying to get a reservation there for about three years and I haven't been able to do it. So good luck with that. But I have got a top tip. Um, there's a place, KOL, um, and it's Mexican in London, in um, West One, and it was at number 51 last year. It isn't in 51 to 100 this year, so it must have moved up the list, unless it's done something terribly wrong, because it wouldn't have disappeared off the list in, in the space of one year. So my advice to everyone going home is book into KOL. If you like Mexican food, it's Mexican uh, meets British. Um, and I met the chef last year at World Safety Best. He's absolutely fabulous um, and very humble and just really wants to make people happy with his food. Oh. And from all accounts, that is exactly what he does. So KOL, book KOL in West One. If it gets announced after the 20th, when it's when all top 50 are announced, that, that, that's in the top 50, you'll, you'll struggle to book so get it locked down now. Sarah Hedley-Heimers, you also in. said Bangkok's having a bit of a moment. They've had, they've got four in that extended list. Um, yeah. What about they, predictions? They won, Sorry, the most, they, they won as the most. So Bangkok with four entries is the highest number of entries in the 51 to 100 slot. And Foodiva, our very famous restaurant critic Foodiva, 
um, has just come back from a tour of those restaurants, places like Suring, which is just causing a massive stir. So the, the emerging trend, I feel, is that um, Bangkok could be the next culinary capital of Asia. And there's a lot of competition with places like Tokyo. So um, it's doing really well and it's affordable. To, to stay there and yeah if you're a foodie that's going to be the next place on your foodie trip list that could be eid sorted for many people listening today we've run out of time but just very very lastly when is that top 50 being announced and will you come back and talk us through it i absolutely will and it's the 20th of june in valencia oh fantastic well thank you so much for your time if anyone wants to find out more and see that list in full you can head over to connecting travels website sarah hedleyheim is the editorial director thank you it's an absolute pleasure um and where are you eating this weekend what's on your foodie plan I'm going to the Maldives. Oh, right. This is where I, this is where I cut you off. No, no, no. I'm actually, I'm actually going to dinner by Heston first. I'm going, to the, I'm, going, I'm going there on um, Saturday. And Friday, I'm going to, tonight I'm going to Hakkasan. Oh, my God. Because okay. of four, four Michelin star chefs, all four Hakkasans have one Michelin star, two in London, two in the UAE. They've all joined together to do a Michelin dinner tonight at Hakkasan. So I'm there, then dinner, then the Maldives. Wear your stretchiest trousers, Sarah Hedleyheim, and have an absolutely <laughs> fantastic time. Have a good one. Thanks, lovely. As I said, if you want to see that 50 best extended list in full, um, you can head over to Connecting Travel website. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. On today's show, we are speaking to some incredible chefs and restaurateurs, kind of taste makers in the F&B scene. As I said, we're taking you all over the world. So if you're feeling a bit inspired and maybe thinking, I'd quite like to open my own too. Our next guest is a director of operations at Royal Orchid Hospitality, Nikhil Meherezweth, today to share a bit of an industry insider's point of view. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Helen. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I worry that the, our chat's going to uh, make me just throw in the microphone and want to open my own restaurant. So let's talk about you before we get some of your top tips and tricks. Now, I understand you've been working alongside your father, the founder of the company, um, and some big brands right. there. Can you share some of the names that you guys have been working on over the years? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, uh, we opened um, uh, a beach club in Palm West Beach by the name of Coco Bay uh, a few years ago, which uh, was and still is very successful. Um, and we also have a gastropub brand called The Tap House, which uh, started about five years ago in Palm Jumeirah mm-hmm. at the Club Vista Mare. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, we've now grown recently. So we've got uh, a new location at the Souk al-Bahar in downtown and just uh, last month we opened in Dubai Hills as well. Wow, you guys are on fire. Now, you I mean you're being very modest there. Coco Bay quickly became the place to yes, you know, eat and drink but mostly be photographed at. Incredibly instagrammable. <laughs> and Tap Thank House you. has got a really really loyal clientele. Um now when Thank you're you. starting and these are two very different brands Nikhil as well. You know, this is you know the the aesthetic, the menu the, the concepts are, are really, really, um, you know, far ends of the spectrum. Can you talk sure. to us a little bit about if, you know, where does an idea come from and how do you start to flesh it out to think, actually, this is something somewhere that people would love to come? How do those pieces fit together? Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. So for, for us, it's, you know, it's always been trying to carve our own niche uh, in the market. Um, Dubai has a very uh, uh, vibrant and challenging uh, uh, hospitality industry. 
So I think being different is very, very important. Um, we obviously, uh, you know, gain our inspiration as well from uh, our, our travels and, um, you know, eating in other restaurants, etc. Uh, so when we did do Coco Bay, it was, um, it was also a very odd time that we opened because it was just around the time when um, restaurants were allowed to open after COVID. Um, so it was, it was a bit of a scary time for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, uh, you know, we were inspired by the beaches of Bali, uh, we wanted to bring something um, as such to Dubai. Uh, we felt that there was a gap. Um, and similarly for the tap house as well, uh, some of our USPs are very different, um, you know, with the selection of our drafts, uh, the kind of food that we do. Um, you know, also, uh, we also serve some Asian uh, food uh, in a gastropub, which is not very common, but mm-hmm. it's, it goes, you know, pairs really well as well. Now, can we talk location? Because you've got some great ones there. Um, is this something that can really make or break a restaurant or cafe in Dubai? And why? Absolutely. I think, I think the location is, is extremely important. Um, unfortunately, in Dubai, as prime locations do come at a price. Um, but I think it is very, very important to uh, define your location. And the best way to do that and, and the most important factor is to know your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a brand to be close to their audience uh, is extremely important. So it doesn't always have to be the most trending location, uh, which is going to be the uh, defining uh, factor for success. Uh, but I think if you know your audience, you know your product and you know exactly who you want to target, um, you should pick a location uh, right about there. And is it a case of reverse engineering, of finding a great location and thinking, right, what's missing around here? What's the demographic, the spending power of this area, and then creating the concept backwards? Or is it having this amazing concept like a Cocoa Bay and going, we just need to find the perfect place for this? What's the order? I would, I would say the concept comes first, uh, because as an investor and as a, a restaurateur, it's important to to believe in your concept, mm-hmm. um, even before you can potentially pitch it or sell it to a, a landlord uh, for a location. Um, so making sure your, your your food is on point, making sure you're, you've thought through the design, you've thought through uh, the entire customer journey, I think that's very, very important. So I would not personally work backwards, but I do think that uh, having a good concept is, 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 is probably a primary. What trends are you noticing, Nikhil, in terms of things that are opening or indeed closing um, around the UAE on the food front? Sorry, could I? Could you repeat that question? What What kind of trends are you noticing? Whether it is cuisine, um, budget, mm. um, even size of of outlet, because I feel like we're we're kind of moving away from some of these enormous spaces to maybe a little bit smaller. I hopefully we're seeing a lot more affordability. But what are you seeing from the inside? I think there's I think there's a lot happening in Dubai. I, I think there's there are so many interesting spaces and concepts that are coming up. Um, uh, you know, from smaller uh, mom and pop shops or uh, you know experiential dining to uh, much larger spaces. Um, so I, I think it it all comes down to the concept. But um, I do see a trend uh, recently of a lot of chef led restaurants, um, and I think especially after the Michelin Guide coming into Dubai, this is you know, created a bit of a trend, and um, we do we do hear of more and more uh, chef-led restaurants, uh, at least recently. What's next for you? What are you What are you scheming on behind the scenes? <laughs> I knew you were doing something. What, what's What's happening? Um, so we're actually very excited. We're working on a new beach club, um, and this is uh, in a location called J One. 
which is the old La Mer location. Ah, is that what it's um, called? J1? I haven't heard that before. Interesting. It is, yeah. That's in Jumeirah so, 1, presumably. You heard it first, yes. But it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful location. They've, they've revamped the entire space. And uh, uh, we're actually doing a Polynesian Asian concept. Mm. So it's, um, it, it's, again, something quite unique. That sounds amazing. So drinks as big as your head, some holiday vibes <laughs> and more. Sanjay saying Tap, Tap House and Coco Bay are superb outlets to chill out in. And lastly, because we are talking food today, um, let's start with Coco Bay and then Tap House. If we're going to order one thing there this weekend at Coco Bay, what is, what's your favourite? Oh, God. Uh, uh-huh. a tough question. Um, I'd, I'd probably go for the... Uh, Probably some of the grilled items. Uh, we have a beautiful uh, Robata grill, uh, which is uh, a live kitchen space. So I think something out of the grill section for sure. Um, my personal favorite would probably be the grilled prawns. I think they're they're, they're great. Um, at the tap house, I would definitely go for the burger. I think that's uh, uh, it's, it's it's the Wagyu burger. It's really well done, and um, I, I'm, I'm sure you enjoy it. Thank you so, so much for making time for us, especially on a Friday. Um, as you said, you are all over the UAE, Dubai Hills, Dukal Baha and Club Vista Mar for Tap House, Coco Bay there on the Palm. And watch this space, J1. Sounds like it's going to be uh, probably the, an area where lots of people can be vying for a spot. So well done you for getting in there nice and early. Nikhil speaking to Thank us, you. Royal Orchid Hospitality Director of Operations. Have a wonderful weekend. All the very best to you and the team. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, we love introducing you to the tastemakers, the industry insiders, the chefs, the restaurateurs, and our next guest is an incredible example of all of that. Vietnamese Foodies, the award-winning female-led restaurant concept, a real homegrown success story, has expanded, is talking about global franchise opportunities, and joined now by founder Lily, who started cooking as a little girl, perfecting her skills to become the best cook in her family by the age of 13. Lily, what a journey you've been on. How are you today? Hi, Helen. I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, and thank and you. How's everything? Everything's going great. On? Everything's great. Now, you know, we've cooked together before. I am a frequent order of your food. I, yes. had, I had a bit of a heavy weekend and on Monday ordered your lunch deal. So I had a great uh, beef tamarind salad and then your chicken pho. It was just, I mean, your food is just phenomenal. For, for anyone that hasn't had it, I mean, it just ticks all the boxes for me. But let's talk about where it all began. Can we go back in time? As I said, you started cooking as a child and then became a cookery teacher. Tell us a little bit about that and how it ultimately led to you opening that first outlet here in Dubai. Um, so um, I've started cooking since I was very young. Uh, I started to cook in the kitchen since I was five, helping by, uh, my sister and my mother to prepare the meals at home. So we are a family of six and my uh, father has always been away from home. He's a sailor away from home for stretches of months. So it's just five of us girls at home and uh, we share all the household chores and the cooking is um, always falling to me because probably I like it and I was good at it. So by the time that I was 13, I cook all the meals at home for my family. And uh, when I graduate from university, I got a job in a big company. But 
uh, still I was cooking in every weekend mm-hmm. for my family, for my friends. And when I moved away from home uh, and moved to Istanbul when I was 30 and uh, I got married, I really, really miss uh, Vietnamese food like how I was always having it in Vietnam. So I start cooking Vietnamese food at home in Istanbul for my friends and and for my family. And soon people are asking me, uh, would you please show me how you are cooking those dishes? Because they are amazing. I, and we have never had things like that before. And so then this turned into it. a sensation where you were teaching people. I mean, were you teaching people at home or did you hire a facility? Was was, was your kitchen completely in, taken over in Istanbul? In Istanbul, we were doing the cooking classes in the Miele Customer Experience Center. You know, the German household brand. Mm-hmm. So they have a very big customer experience center and they were very kind to lend it to us. And uh, we were able to organize cooking classes, proper cooking demo when everybody is having a station and everybody was uh, participating in all the cooking processes. And uh, we shared the meal that we cooked together after all the cooking session. It's a big leap to go from teaching some people dishes that you cooked as a child to now we're talking about global franchising of that brand of Vietnamese foodies. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well. Founder Lily has gone from teaching people her the cuisine of her childhood to opening, well... I'm going to ask her right now. Lily, you started off with one branch of Vietnamese Foodies JLT. How many branches do yeah. you have now? We have now five locations and we are opening two more uh, by the end of this year. So we have one coming up in September in Damak Hills. Uh, and we have another opening up in December in Dubai Creek Residence. Wow, congratulations. And I really, really mean Thank that. because. So you know, to see you there in the JLT branch, you know, and you're you're a you know a familiar face in all of the branches, going in and speaking with customers, and of course cooking and training training the team up. Um, when you first opened that JLT branch, what was your mission then? What 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 did success look like then, Lily? Um, I actually started the first location um, wanting to introduce Vietnamese food as it is, and it's, it's always cook and enjoy in Vietnam to people in Dubai, because I found that um, the Vietnamese cuisine are somehow underrepresented. So there are only two Vietnam restaurants in Dubai at that time when I opened my first location in JLT and I really really want people to experience Vietnamese food the way it is always cooked and enjoyed which is light and healthy and tasty using a lot of fresh vegetables and herbs and cooking in bone broth and using lean meat and seafood so Vietnamese food in my childhood and growing up, it's always um, what I like the most. And when I'm abroad, I really miss the Vietnamese food the way I always enjoy it at home. So when I open it, actually, what I want to do is to introduce Vietnamese food to as many people as possible. And uh, actually having the success that we are today, I really appreciate the support of Dubai foodies. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I think um, Vietnamese foodies somehow has played a part 
in introducing Vietnamese food to people in Dubai and in the UAE in general because after Dubai, um, after Vietnamese food is success, there are so many Vietnam restaurants that is open up in Dubai as well as Abu Dhabi and there are other Asian restaurants introducing Vietnamese um, dishes in mm-hmm. their menu as well. That is um Really, really proud. Yeah, a big accomplishment. A big accomplishment. Um, can I ask you about some of the most popular dishes on the menu? What are some of the things that people really, really love? Just message going, what's the name of the Vietnamese restaurant? It is Vietnamese Foodies. Lily's with us now. So what are some of the most popular orders? People always um, order at least one fur. If you are alone or coming with a group of friends, I think... Um, there would be always someone who order pho, which is the Vietnamese noodle soup that is made from the 14-hour bone broth. Um, we simmer the bone with the Vietnamese traditional herbs and spices, just as cardamom, star anise, cinnamon, ginger, and onions. We simmer that for 14 hours, and then we strain it and then serve it over fresh rice noodle and lean meat such as uh, beef brisket or chicken thigh and um, we also have vegan pho as well where the broth is made only from vegetables and we serve the rice noodle with uh, a lot of vegetables and tofu and mushroom as well so that is um the favorite of many who came to Vietnamese cities but also we have other dishes that people really love such as um, chicken satay or green papaya and prawn salad. Mm. And most recently, we have um, introduced a few new dishes that was not in the menu before, such as the special rice noodle with uh, five spice grilled chicken. And um, we always love banh mi, like the Vietnamese sandwich that we make ourselves in the kitchen from 24-hour proof dough, um, which is really light and fluffy, and we can have it with grilled beef or grilled chicken or tofu as well as duck. a vegan option. The duck's my favourite. I was in your Nikhil Mall branch um, a while ago and to see the baguettes being come, you know, being taken out of the kitchen and distributed to all the branches. But yeah, yeah. the duck bun me is just amazing. Mm. So Lily... Yeah, the- they, they go in the kitchen at five every morning to um, shape and bake the dough that they proof one day before. And then at 10 o'clock, all those freshly baked um, bun me sandwiches is being sent out to all the branches and I, I feel like it's really important to note you're really really well priced I'm always so pleasantly surprised in terms of the cost it feels really inclusive is that something that's important to you I mean you're obviously introducing the cuisine to lots of people but we want people to be able to enjoy it and not worry about affording it yeah it is very important for me and for Vietnamese students to keep our price um, accessible to people because um, I believe that Vietnamese food is uh, best enjoyed with a lot of people, with your friends, with your family, and um, not just about the price, but also the menu. We have options that is catering to all kinds of diets. You can find dairy-free, gluten-free, keto, paleo menu items so that when you have a group of friends and there are some uh, people who follow the paleo diet, some people are vegan, some people follow the keto diet, and some people are gluten-free, everybody can come and find something that they can enjoy at Vietnamese Sudi. So it's very, very important to me. And lastly, Lily, 
it sounds like you're going global. What, what, tell us a little bit about the franchising and what your hopes are for that. Um, we have um, started to get ready to make Vietnamese foodies available beyond Dubai since the beginning of um, this year. And we, are, we still have some way to go, but I really hope to have the first Vietnamese foodies opening beyond the border of UAE by next year because Vietnamese foodies is um, very um, good dining options um, that was proven by the success of Vietnamese foodies in Dubai because there isn't any other chain of Vietnamese restaurant in the world um, beside Vietnamese foodies that is offering what we are offering in this smart casual dining environment. Um, and I really think that in GCC, uh, we have a big opportunity to introduce more people to um, Vietnamese cuisine because um, as we started our five years ago, it's still my mission to introduce Vietnamese food as it always is to as many diner around the world as possible because I really love it and I think it's um, beneficial mm-hmm. to everybody in terms of price or um, taste or health aspect and it should be a cuisine that is accessible for many people around the world and not only in Dubai or the UAE. Well, if anyone can do it, Lily, it's going to be you. Please, please, please keep us posted. Thank you so much for your time today, especially on a Friday when I know you're so busy with those five plus branches and more in the works. Lily, Thank you for the invitation. My really pleasure. lovely to talk to you again. And I love how much you believe in your food. That passion just shines through. It really, really does. And my goodness, your food is absolutely amazing. Lily, a pleasure as ever speaking to us from Vietnamese foodies. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We are taking you around the world on today's show. We've been to Afghanistan, just to Vietnam, and now we're going to Greece with Chef de Cuisine Gregorius from... And I'm, I'm really nervous about pronunciations here, Chef, so I'm going to say it and then you're going to say it properly. Does that sound okay? Asteriatorio Milos. Tell me how I did, Chef. Oh, you did amazing. <laughs> Hi, Ellen. It's an honor to be with you in Dubai, I radio in Dubai. You are very generous. Tell us then your full name and the correct pronunciation of your gorgeous restaurant here in Dubai. Actually, you did uh, amazing with the pronunciation of Estiatorio, yeah? So, uh, my name is Grigorios, my last name is Limperopoulos. This would be a bit difficult eh, to pronounce. Uh, I'm the chef de cuisine of uh, Milos in Atlantis the Royal. I'm very glad to be with you today here. Well, thank you for making time, especially on a Friday. I know how service can be kicking up a gear on a Friday afternoon. You've got some hungry diners heading your way in just a few hours. Um, Before we talk food, one of my favourite things to discuss, let's talk about you. Um, I often ask chefs where their journey began, how they, you know, became to fall in love with food. And it's often... You know, an Italian nonna or a mother or a father who grew beautiful produce who inspired them to become a chef. But I hear that yours was inspired by romance. Tell us more. Well, uh, it was inspired by romance, yes. And it was inspired as well uh, from my hunger always to travel uh, around the world. So uh, I found this opportunity through 
let's say uh, when I met my wife as well, uh, that I get to know that they have some cooking skills yeah. and how to develop them. Uh, this was uh, my dream as well from a young uh, young age uh, to travel around the world. So this is where I combine these two things together. And I think uh, this is where we are at now. Uh, I started my journey from Greece, uh, where I pass uh, from some countries in Europe, as well in Germany and in Italy. Uh, where in Italy has been a great journey for me. I worked there for around four years. And let's say this was my whole culinary concept turnover. Uh, and is the moment where I had to go back in Greece and continue with my military service. Uh, but it was a great opportunity for me, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is when I end up with the military service. I went out of Europe and I've been in Asia for a bit of time uh, before Corona comes. Uh, so I was in Malaysia as well. Uh, and after that, I had to go back in Greece for a short of period of time. But I had the opportunity to run out and escape and go back to Oman <laughs> in Middle East. And after Middle East is uh, after Oman actually is uh, the opportunity where I had to uh, come in Dubai and join in Atlantis Royal and Estiatorio Milos. Uh, wow. Through all this time, uh, my passion was always the fine dining. Mm -hmm. So I was working in uh, fine dining restaurants and in as well Michelin star restaurants in Italy. Uh, but the biggest challenge for me and what I was accepted, uh, I always wanted to represent the Greek cuisine, which is my native cuisine, and I think uh, Milos is a great opportunity for me to represent this uh, as of uh, the dining uh, scene of Milos and the Greek cuisine. Well, I mean, my goodness, it's it's love, it's travel, it's food. We're very lucky to have you on our Dubai shores for for this fantastic restaurant opening. Now, when it comes to Greek cuisine, can you explain a little bit about maybe some of the misunderstandings people might have about it and what you're trying to educate us with, with your plates? Actually, Greek cuisine is very simple. Uh, and it all matters, that matters actually is matter of ingredients. Mm. Uh, in Milos, the product quality that we are having is extraordinary, I would say, and amazing. And uh, to highlight the Greek cuisine and its offerings, you need to be very simple. But if you are making the difference with your product and the quality of the product, uh, then the concept is becoming, I would say, a highlight. Mm -hmm. uh, so Greek cuisine is actually known for gyros or for the souvlaki mm -hmm. or for the moussaka, uh, which very often uh, it happens that if you go in Greece as well, a lot of tourist places you find, uh, let's say, uh, a lot of these dishes executed, but not in a proper way. Uh, what Chef Costas Spiliadis as well, who is, uh, uh, let's say, um, the brand representator, uh, this is his vision to change uh, the Greek cuisine mindset for a lot of people around the world. And what we are achieving as of now, I think is great uh, because with the job we are doing, we have great achievements in terms of the guest perception. Uh, our highlight is the seafood. We are having uh, fresh catches almost every day from the fishermen that they are bringing uh, the fish only for Milos in whole Dubai. Uh, and we are highlighting uh, our Greek cuisine with a lot of products which are coming as well from Greece. Uh, as an example is the Afrala salt that we are using is coming from Kithira or the honey that we are using to top up our uh, Greek yogurt uh, ice cream. 
Uh, we are having a lot of uh, products like the olives or the olive oil, which is from the sister of uh, Chef Costas. Wow, that's really special to have those personal connections and brought well, here to Dubai. As, exactly as you mentioned, personal connection. And this is what Greek cuisine, I think, is uh, the, the Greek hospitality has to do a lot with personal connection. Mm-hmm. And this is what we are transmitting as of now. Uh, with the whole experience and uh, this is what the journey brings you through Greece this is I would say the highlight of the restaurant and uh, why we are achieving all this kind of uh, amazing and exceptional comments as well from our clientele. Well that must be amazing to see the reception because you know some chefs are locked away in the kitchen and you know really focused on that execution some prefer an open kitchen some like to come out and see the guests and and have a chat what's your style when it comes to i guess getting an understanding some feedback from the diners at your place well actually uh, my style is i'm trying to be everywhere always (laughs) Uh, i'm trying to be with the guests as well getting the feedback from the guests is very important but as well interacting with the guests explaining the concept explaining the dishes uh, explaining where our products are coming from is very important the interaction with the guests but as well because we are having an open kitchen uh, always being present uh, as well on the past I would say or even if there is a need as well on the grills or cooking I'm very hands-on person I'm always trying to lead by example uh, and what is great as well with the restaurant there is a lot of opportunity to interact with the guests our highlight in our restaurant is the fish market, which is in front of our kitchen. And this is where we get to meet a lot of our guests and explaining the concept behind, uh, because a lot of our products as well that you can find in our fish market, they have different cooking techniques, uh, which is uh, exceptional that our guests get to know, uh, to get out of the regular. I mean, uh, since we are a Greek cuisine, uh, restaurant we are trying always to highlight our cooking styles under the Greek concept uh, but as well uh, we need to interact a lot of with the guests as well mm-hmm. and uh, explain the concept and the experience out of this uh, to let them understand the product as well uh, to let them understand as well the cooking techniques and what is the difference within what they know and what we offer uh, which is exceptional, exceptional. Oh, you sound just so proud. It must, it must be amazing. It really must be amazing. We're running out of time, but I want to get a little bit of flavour of the menu. If, if someone listening today is like, oh my goodness, now I've got such a craving for chef's food. Could you put together a little menu for us right now? If you could you know, introduce our listeners to uh, your dream representation um, on the food front, what would you be serving up, chef? We, we have a journey of sequence for our menu, so we would start with uh, whole fish sashimi, which we have exceptionally red snapper, which we call it lithrini in Greek, uh, as a whole sashimi, as a starter to start. And then we would continue with a milo special, which is a thin layer fried zucchini and eggplant combined with the tzatziki spread, uh, combined as well with the kefalograviera cheese fried, is exceptional, uh, really stunning. And combine as well with the Greek spreads, which is coming with the taramo salata, one khtipiti and one jajiki spread, uh, is some of our signature dishes. And then to continue with the coursing, uh, we would go, let's say, with the fried calamari, which we are receiving fresh from our fishermen. Uh, is so uh, soft, is so tender and really stunning of flavor. 
combined with a Greek salad as well, with our tomato salad, which we are having as well a, a dry aged barrel feta cheese. And then to close up our dinner, our highlight is uh, the sibas, which is cooked under the salt. And it's coming on the side with some Greek fries and some uh, horta, uh, which is wild greens collected uh, from uh, Crete, the island of Crete. Uh, and to enclose with the dessert, I would highlight uh, the Greek yogurt ice cream is a highlight. Oh, uh, that's the one the that date. I had my eye on when I looked at the menu. I was like, that just sounds like indulgent but fresh and just the perfect end to a meal there. Chef, where can we find you online and in real life if you want to try this? Uh, uh, actually, you can find me always in Milos. I'm at your availability <laughs> when you come. Uh, you can find me in Instagram as well. Uh, my Instagram profile is uh, grego uh, slash limpero. Uh, and then uh, my uh, email contact as well details, I will let you know. You're very kind. Uh, Thank you, Chef. It's been a pleasure to have a catch up with you this afternoon and hear about your passion. Thank you. I hope so too. We're losing a little bit there, Chef, but thank you for your time. Um, you can see Chef, and it sounds like he's always there, at Milos there at Atlantis the Royal in Dubai. It's fine dining, Greek cuisine, but we're still with that nostalgic touch and those personal connections to ingredients, both here, knowing the fishermen, but also back home in native Greece too. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We always enjoy people who are integral in the Dubai foodie scene. And our next guest is no different. The founder of what started out as a Lebanese bakery and a very popular pop-up at that. And now a restaurant, a boutique. Kayak El Manara, the founder, Ziad Ayas, is joining us live. Lovely to have you in the studio. How are you, sir? I'm doing amazing. And thank you so, so much for having me on again, Helen. Well, I always love chatting with you because you tell it straight. Um, However... If people have missed our previous conversations or even us you know, cooking and things like that, let's go back in time where this story started. Now, we met, I don't even want to know how long ago. 2016, Something like that. So I think it was pre-kids for me. Um, and I fell in love with, uh, you know what I'm going to say. Kak. Kak. Yeah. And then the tomato soup that you no longer bring to me. Oh, my god! Breaking my heart. You have an amazing memory. It was a great soup. I love a tomato yeah. soup. What about you? Before we even met, the story of wanting to bring the taste of nostalgia, of those Lebanese breads and flavors. It's a big step to go, that's what I miss. So this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... My backstory um, is I was a corporate guy uh, in finance, um, complete 180 degree shift coming into the F&B world. But it was, um, and, you, and you really hit the nail on the head, it was for me much more than anything about food. It was just about doing something meaning, meaningful. And nostalgia is the word, um, you know, being uh, Lebanese and uh, living abroad, there's there's this kind of uh, nostalgia that stays with us, uh, the entire Lebanese and Levant community. And um, uh, going from corporate to something more meaningful was, uh, I think, just something natural that happened to me over the course of my career. Um, And uh, yeah, CAC was an idea that uh, uh, hit me like a ton of bricks in the middle of the night. Uh, Literally in the middle of the night. Absolutely. In the middle of the night, I uh, was uh, a bachelor at the time. You said pre-kids. This was pre-wife for Mm -hmm. me. 
and uh, craving something, a midnight snack, went to an empty fridge. Obviously, there were a few uh, <laughs> Red Bulls in there and uh, was snacking on a cracker. And in that moment, I thought, oh, my God, you know what I really miss? Uh, Kaik, which is this uh, really super nostalgic and very popular sesame flatbread from Lebanon. And uh, as far as I was concerned, no one had taken it outside of Lebanon uh, successfully, as far as I was aware. And at that time, I was kind of playing with the idea of leaving the corporate world. And that's what stuck. And uh, the rest is history. You make it sound so simple. Again, it takes a big step to be like, oh, I really fancy this, to I'm going to serve it to the people of Dubai. So you tested the waters with a pop-up. And my goodness, you were the face of that. You were there at Right Market every single week being like, Helen, try the Akawi, you know, bringing people in and serving juices. And I mean, I'd never had kek before I met you. So it wasn't just about nostalgia for other people. It was about an education, I think, for other people in Dubai. Absolutely. You worked hard. Yes. You really, really did. And it, it paid off with that pop-up. And then from there? Yeah. So so the pop-up was something I was doing alongside my corporate job. Mm-hmm. I was a, a M&A consultant by weekday and a CAC specialist by uh, weekends and weeknights. Um, and uh, from that success, we, you know, we remember the snaking queues. Uh, people used to queue for 30, 40 minutes to get a kike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't see that kind of success and not have your dream just get more solidified and gain the confidence um, to, to leave it all behind and, and try something new. So, um, you know, I know from day two in the ripe markets, I was... I was uh, con- I had the conviction to eventually quit and it's it's been one heck of a journey since mm-hmm. then right so it hasn't been as easy and as smooth as it was in in those early days over the years um you know since then we've we now operate two outlets two flagship outlets one in Media City and one in Al Wasl Road recently opened um our menu has evolved to so much more than just kayak we are quickly becoming known as a proper Lebanese restaurant rather than just a uh, specialist bakery. Um, the bakery is our core, but uh, we, we're, we're just known for serving really good quality Lebanese food. Um, and uh, we've evolved the business as well. We're into catering and wholesale as well. So it's been seven years. So much has happened since those days, Helen. And uh, it's had to because you need to diversify mm-hmm. your business um, and, and you need to uh, leverage your brand as much as possible. And make hay with the sun shining. Yeah, abs- absolutely. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. What started as a pop-up, a bakery, is now restaurant, boutique. Yes, still a bakery too, and so much more. Kaka Manara, the founder of Ziad Ayas, joining us in the studio with snacks. Absolutely. What did you bring us? So we've recently expanded into, uh, uh, well, we've become, like you mentioned, much more than a Lebanese just bakery and restaurant. So, so we now employ like really world-class uh, pastry chefs and specialist Arabic patisserie chefs. So what I brought you today is a wide selection of what we call in Lebanon shamiyat. Which, shamiyat. Yes, okay. which means Levantine cookies and biscuits. Mm. So sham, shami means Levant. So this is a, a unique array of Arabic biscuits and cookies that you don't really find um, 
uh, across the UAE. And we spot, just like we spotted the gap in the market for CAC, our, you know, our cornerstone, I saw this as well as a gap in the market. And ever since we've introduced them in our retail uh, store within our store in Al Wasl, they've been flying off the shelves. And I brought them to you today because I want you to be one of the first to try. But soon all of Dubai is going to be trying them because they're going to be available on Kipsons uh, in the coming days, as well as uh, Enoch and Emirat gas stations uh, as kind of grab-and-go containers. Mabrook. Well, it's it's very fortunate because I'm seeing some Lebanese friends over the weekend, so I'm going to win some brownie points by giving them some biscuits. Thank you so much. For sure. Tell us then about that expansion. You opened here in Media City and do a great trade in lunchtime, often to me. Um, And then you opened... Al Wassel Road, the hoarding went up. I got excited, messaged you and was like, what's going on? <laughs> You're in my that. neighborhood. Tell us about why it felt like the right time and trying to find that right location. You know, it's really funny that you mentioned the right time. You know, I was listening back to our earlier conversation a few years back oh here on the show. Goodness. And <laughs> that conversation actually happened uh, just on the before the hit of COVID. Mm-hmm. It was in, I think, October 2019. And I was listening and I was... Remember uh, hearing how, you know, I was so optimistic and we had so many plans and everything just came to a halt. And I've been blessed and lucky enough to have a group of partners who had seen the success up to that point. And we made a really bold move, which was when everyone was holding back uh, during COVID, we decided to keep investing and take advantage of the depressed real estate market. Um, So we started searching for our location in 2021 when COVID was still really affecting the restaurant uh, market. Um, But it turned out to be one of the best decisions we've ever made um, because we found a very unique property. It's so cool. It's this like low slung villa right on our Wassel Road and outside space. Honestly, Helen. And parking. And parking. You, it's, you, you need to be an F&B operator. You, you know all the key success Parking's factors. really important it's, to me. It's critical. I will not go somewhere if I'm like, yeah, mm, unsure about the parking situation. And you know what's funny is it, it's, it seems easy to say like, oh yeah, you need parking. But, but often operators get so inside their heads that they forget the basics. Mm. And, and having parking is critical. It's, it's so important. But yeah, just to go back to, to, to the point of... The, the, the actual property, how unique it is. I'll never forget the moment I walked into this property for the first time and it was love at first sight. Um, like you mentioned, it's a bungalow style villa. It's actually a 30 year old villa. And we spent a year and four months converting it from a residential property to a commercial property. So when I discovered it first, I walked in and there was a, the old tenant's couch and <laughs> And like uh, his pantry still had plates in it. And uh, um, it was incredible. Uh, The landlord had decided, the landlord owns a few of these properties and he had decided to convert them for commercial use. And uh, I was lucky because no one was looking at the time. I caught it at that, you know, rare uh, moment in time and uh, uh, walked in the space, saw that terrace overlooking Burj Khalifa. I know. I went, I was like, this would be awesome for New Year's Eve. I hope Ziad's doing something on New Year's Eve. It, it, it did really well on I New bet. Year's. It did really well. So so I imagined the space like breaking through all the walls. We yeah. totally gutted it out. And we actually built up 30% of the built-up space. So we expanded it. The plot is 700 square meters. And the built-up space was around 350. We increased it to 500. So it seats 220 people. 
um, has a beautiful indoor dining area, which is perfect in summer, which we seat 120 people indoor. And uh, it's it's really a fabulous experience when you, when you walk in. It's a beautiful space. I, l- I fell in love with the tiles. You've got what I consider to be a very dangerous boutique there. I could do some serious <laughs> damage to the credit card there. But, that, oh but it's all these little touches where yeah. if you want to have these artisan products that you've clearly spent a lot of time and care sourcing. Yes. So, so you know our story from 2016. I started this business with five flavors of cac, and now we've evolved seven years later into a restaurant, bakery, cafe, patisserie, and retail shopping experience. How many staff now? We went from me alone and part-timers <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, in 2016 to 130 staff now. We, since the last time we talked, we've tripled the size of the business. Um, and uh, our catering and wholesale business is growing. And we have our sites set. We're, we're actually searching for our third location now. I don't think three is going to be where you're, fin- where you're stopping though. Oh, no, no. I mean, my vision, I've told, I've told the guys, by 2028, we want to have eight operating outlets and we want to be valued at around 200 million dirhams. So that's that's the that's the vision. Don't forget me. <laughs> Don't you dare forget me. Every time, I, I only say this, every time we have something new going on, you're always one of the first people that's I want to reach very, out to. Very, very kind. And I can't, I can't thank you enough for, you know, keeping up with our story and really being a homegrown hero. Well, I, that's the exact phrase I was going to use for you because we've seen some big chefs coming into the UAE and, and you know, great, it puts Dubai on the, on the map internationally. But what I think gets most Dubai residents excited is to see a brand that was conceptualized here, solving a problem for here, doing really, really well. We were just hearing earlier from Lily from Vietnamese Foodies who's looking at global franchise opportunities. She's amazing. She's amazing. And I could see so similar for you and, you know, getting, I don't know, sky's the limit, sky really. Cag's the limit. Cag's the, um, the limit. Okay, <laughs> now let's talk food. Yes. Now you said you said it's now evolved from that kind of starting point into a restaurant. It really is that some of the hot dishes were amazing when I came in a few months ago. What are some of your favorites on the menus here? So, so as you rightly mentioned, the menu is now kind of, I look at it as two menus. We have the restaurant and bakery menu, and then we have the cafe and patisserie menu, um, which really has pushed our um, offering into an all-day dining uh, offering. Mm-hmm. From, from the restaurant side, uh, as I mentioned, we are quickly becoming known for really having exceptional quality of Lebanese food. Um, so... Other than, of course, our cornerstone, which is the epic Lebanese bakery, um, uh, featuring obviously the kaik, we have so many bakery items that are really good. Mu'ajjanat, fatayr, manakish. So everybody knows those already. But I want to focus more on uh, what's quickly becoming really renowned is we have unique dishes you won't find anywhere else uh, from our cold meza, hot meza. We have a very deep Lebanese breakfast menu. Um, and uh, yes, you've tried the tabkhaz, which are the home-cooked dishes. And recently in Al-Wasl, we feature amazing, juicy, succulent grills, Lebanese Ooh. grills. Now, um, I just, we were talking about the parking earlier. You yeah. are packed. Like, yeah. good, good luck getting a parking yeah. <laughs> space. Have you, ha, what, what's that been like seeing how incredible a response has been? You know, you learn so much. The, 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 the challenge with re- the restaurant business is it's so capex intensive. And so 
the learning happens with every new outlet. Mm-hmm. And so the, le- the incremental learning is a very expensive. You know, you learn 60 to 70% of what you're going to learn within the first few months of opening. And then the learning falls flat until you open the next outlet. And comparing Media City to Al Wasl has been incredible. Media t- City took us, you know, three to four months to really pick up. Um, we were still a newer brand b- back then. But when we opened on Al Wasl, um, by month one, by the third weekend, we were jam-packed. Mm-hmm. We were crying because uh, <laughs> we didn't want to overstaff because, you know, our experience in Media City is like, okay, it'll take four months. Let's start light. Um, so we started light and then we were scrambling to hire more people, um, you know, waiting lists. Uh, um, but I, I think, and the community has been amazing. They all kind of understood where we were at and... Uh, now, if you go, everything's under control. Good. Um, but as you mentioned, weekends are madness. Um, it's a beautiful vibe. It makes me so proud to see everything we've worked for over the years kind of just come full fold. In, in just, there's something about hearing a bustling dining space in, in uh, full swing. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll see that any weekend you go for breakfast and brunch. And our dinners are getting really quite busy as well because people are really loving the grills. Um, we've heard from multiple people that our lamb chops are some of the best in the market. Oh, right. We're leaving on that note. <laughs> Thank you so much. Honestly, I'm absolutely thrilled for you. I really, really am. It's um, We've had a number of messages going, name of restaurant, please. Okay, so last question. Where can we find you in real life and online as well? Uh, you can find uh, me personally or the, re- the, or the restaurant. <laughs> I mean, you're there most of the time anyway. Uh, <laughs> my phone number is not, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so the restaurants are, we have one in Dubai Media City um, uh, in the MasterCard building. Um, and then on Al Wasl Road, it's uh, 500 meters down road from the Galleria Mall Center. Near Box Park. Just kind opposite, of. just opposite the beginning of Box Park. Um, and then, as I mentioned, you'll see our brand in many supermarkets, uh, as well as all, a lot of the petrol stations. Um, and uh, I'm sure uh, many of you have maybe spotted us in uh, private households where, where we do so much catering. Oh, yeah, I think I think that might be my next birthday party sorted. If you want details, just send me the word, I don't know, hero. How's that? And I'll send you the Instagram link. Sounds amazing. It's a pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Job done. Hungry over here for lamb chops, grills, and some of these amazing Lebanese pastries, which is lucky because I'm going to be eating some during the headlines. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. It was World Ocean Day this week, and sometimes we do forget that the seafood wasn't always that friendly towards the planet. We're talking about sustainability, being mindful eaters, sourcing well and eating well with private chef Vanessa Bemer. She's an advocate for sustainable seafood consumption and is on a bit of a mission to raise awareness about the importance of making some responsible choices, protecting our oceans and still enjoying seafood flavours as well. How are you, chef? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having You're me today. You're so welcome. I could see you thinking then about what you'd have as your dream menu, your starter main and dessert. Do you have anything that comes to mind? Actually, just as you said that, um, as, I, as you mentioned, I'm a big fan. Uh, wanting to take care of our oceans, but I love seafood. I think if it, my final meal that I would have would probably be Omani grouper. Um, it is beautiful fish. Uh, it is just melt in your mouth and it's sustainable and local. 
Let's talk local a little bit because we hear an awful lot, and rightly so, about the effects of plastics, pollution on everything from, you know, my goodness, turtles that need rehabilitation from our friends at Jumeirah to the fish we eat. And in one study, this is out of New Zealand and Australia, detecting microplastics in 75% of commercial fish we eat. It is scary. So what are some of the main contributors to this situation that you've seen, um, you know, firsthand and also through the research you've been doing, Chef? Well, unfortunately, we're living in a world where we have a lot of plastic pollution and a lot of people revert to the idea that it's straws and these type of items. But in actuality, it's from the fisheries and the fishing companies where we have an entire floating plastic island larger than the state of Texas in the middle of our ocean. And this is all from fishing nets and fishing lines that get cut and uh, distributed. And the microplastics are now going into our food and now going into our children. And this is something that we need to start considering to looking at uh, having sustainable fishing farms and getting our fish from that aspect or line caught fish and not overfishing a certain population. It's interesting you mentioned that because we've got a, a sustainable fish farm right here in the UAE, um, you know, just up just up the road. But um, how do we know that you know we're sourcing whether it is in a restaurant or in the supermarket a fish that's ultimately been fish sustainably and is going to be safe for consumption for us and our family. Well, this is one of the things that I love about the Dubai government or the UAE government in general. They are pushing forward with sustainability um, as their marker moving forward in our uh, restaurants and everything else. And one of the main things is a lot of chefs here, local chefs, uh, no matter which uh, restaurant that you're going to, they also are trying to do mm -hmm. sustainable. And it's a selling point. People want to eat healthier. So it's very important to research the restaurant. Uh, research when you're buying an item at Spinney's. They're fantastic about this. They say this is this is farm fresh. You know, this is sustainable. Um, and to go ahead and explore the options of what you're purchasing by being a well-informed consumer. Because it works both ways. It's, you know, it's the demand of the customer saying to a restaurant, saying to a chef, saying to wait staff, where is this from? How was this fished? And, and I mean, planting the seed there, but also it's the responsibility of the restaurateur, of the chef to say, we're, we're making a stand here. You know, this is important to us and we want it to be important to you and we're being transparent about where our things are coming from. So you're absolutely right. Kind of, it all goes hand in hand. Um, can I ask about some of your favourite ways to cook oh, seafood? Yeah. Come uh, on, let's get, let's I, get okay, hungry. Let's, let's, get, let's get hungry. Yeah. Uh, we got to get our juices flowing before our next meal. Uh, 100% one of my favourite ways, especially with uh, myself and my other chefs at CBC Consultancy and Events, we like to grill and we like to broil items. Uh, I do understand that a lot of people, they like to fry items, but I really feel that if you have a good quality seafood or even if it's meat, uh, if you bring it out onto the grill, you get those natural juices and flavours mm -hmm. and as well as those people who do not have access to a barbecue or a braai, you can do all of this in your oven with just simple ingredients, a good quality fish, a little bit of lemon, uh, sea salt. You can even throw in, you know, some paprika and then you get the all the moisture from the fat that's already in the fish. It's very good for you for your omegas. Now, you at CBC are doing a lot of work. You're a private chef yourself. You consult to restaurants all over the world and you've got some chefs on yachts right now. I do. That and I, uh, they absolutely love the work that they do. We work with the 42 different yacht brokers that call us out to give private chef experiences to our guests and the charters. And a lot of times the chartering is that they're out fishing so they catch the fish 
uh, clean it, cook it, and serve it right at the same time to the guests. And they absolutely love that. Does not get any fresher. Is it a bit like being on Below Deck, that TV show that I've watched way too many episodes of? (laughs) I will have to say that the longer charters in the Mediterranean can have some similarities, but we're very lucky here in the UAE and in Oman waters that we have very professional crew that we work with. Thank you for qualifying that, Chef Vanessa. <laughs> do appreciate it. Now, in terms of your own background, your own heritage, tell us a little bit about becoming a chef in the first place. Where did that start for you? Oh, all right. So my mother is actually Brazilian and my father's New York Italian. So it has a very fiery background mm-hmm. when it comes to food in general. So we had a war in our household of our two grandmothers who would be cooking very vastly different foods. And of course, all of the children were put to work rolling meatballs or, you know, rolling rolling out dough and whatever was necessary to keep us out from underfoot. And I think that really, based on, you know, the Latina community, as well as an Italian background, food is a center point to bring people together. And it's definitely something that brings families closer. Mm -hmm. So my obsession with food started at a very young age. I worked at uh, Mom and Pop's Pizzeria at the age of 13, kind of fibbed about my age so I could get the job. And uh, it's just been romance ever since. Oh, and you travel the world now. Where have you been in the last kind of year or so consulting, but also researching and just enjoying yourself on the food front? Uh, well, I have to say that if one of the things that I appreciate the most is not only with the work that I do, but I like to go on vacations, culinary vacations. So I've done a lot of work. I've just recently opened up a cafe in Jeddah. Um, I've been traveling between Dammam, Riyadh, Muscat, uh, previously, I'd say about two years ago, I was out in Bishkek, um, which uh, for those that don't know, that's in Kyrgyzstan, where I got a very different uh, appreciation for using local and sustainable items. Uh, They have a lot of river fish that I had never seen or even could pronounce what they are. But it's just been a real flavorful ride. Are you someone who plans their holidays around where they're going to eat? Yes, but don't tell my husband that. (laughs) Where's next then? Are you away for Eid or any summer plans on the food front? We're going to go to seashells. Uh, We're going to go to seashells and then afterwards we're going to go back down to South Africa uh, just to go back to Johannesburg and visit some family. But I'm very excited because uh, there's a very big community there trying to do sustainability as well. And I'm excited to see what the chefs have come up with. And if anyone wants to avail of your expertise as a consultant or indeed a private chef working with you and the team, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, they can get in touch with us on Instagram. Uh, it's uh, chef underscore uh, Bema, B-A-Y-M-A, or you can go to our website. It's www.chefbema.com. If you want those details, just send me the word chef. I'd be very happy to introduce you because my goodness, your Instagram is a thing of beauty. I mean, there's nothing worse than bad food photography, but there's nothing better than good food photography. And I have to say, yours does a great job of making us very hungry indeed. Chef, thank you so much. Um, last question. If you could wave a magic wand and change anything around the food scene about sustainability, about responsible fish farming, pre- preparation, ordering, what would you like to change? I would love it if the consumers would understand a little bit better that they have the power They're the ones, if you ask for it, we will deliver. Us, the chefs, the restaurateurs, we want to make sure you're happy. If you ask for it, we will provide. So educate yourself. Yes. Thank you so much. Private chef Vanessa Bomer from CBC, if you want her details, just send me the word chef. I'd be very happy to introduce you on the SMS 4001. So what I want to know from you this afternoon, and there's no right or wrong, 
and I'm loving the messages, guys, is it's a question we actually ask a lot of chefs that come in, into the studio. What would you have as your last meal on earth? I'm not saying anyone's on death row. What we often say to chefs is, if we were going to send you to a desert island where the food's going to be rubbish, but the night before you go, you get to have the meal of your dreams. Starter, main, dessert. You'd have any configuration if you wanted. We've had messages of all desserts, um, and that's absolutely fine. But I want details. If you're saying all desserts, I want to know three at least. So for Mangala, sushi. The grilled chicken and avocado sandwich and then the molten chocolate cake from Chili's. Isabella Grass is saying sushi, creamy salmon and broccoli spaghetti, which I cook, and then a creme brulee and a Turkish coffee. I forgot about creme brulee. That's a really good shout. And Kate going pure nostalgia. My last meal on earth would be my daughter's smorgasbord, my son's lasagna, and my late Nana Woolley's apple crumble, and then my mother's cheese board and crackers. What about you? I just want you to have a little little think about it as i said i think about this an awful lot like a lot every week whenever i ask a chef and my mind changes all the time but for today i would probably go charcuterie board beautiful clam spaghetti that i had in portugal last summer and then yeah i think i'm with you i think apple pie and uh, uh, some ice cream delicious so we've had some fantastic suggestions oh my goodness you're making me seriously hungry um steak triple cooked chips Grilled mushrooms with pepper sauce. Oh, my goodness. Another shout-out for steak from Rattan saying, then chicken biryani and brownies with ice cream. Um, it's Bear saying, it would be my great-grandma's going roast beef and potatoes. Then fried chicken and skinny fries. Then grandpa's kingfish salad and orange cake with orange glaze by my mum with my dad's Turkish coffee. It's a family affair. Oh, my goodness. JS saying, my last meal on earth would be Korean gimbap and kimchi pancakes for starters. Korean vegan chicken with kimchi as my main and Korean rice cakes for dessert and the dog on a coffee and bubble tea. You've got me craving kimchi pancakes, JS, you naughty thing. We seem going full diabetes here, saying I'd start off with a foot-long piece of crunchy apple strudel, then a Texas-sized cinnamon roll with cream cheese and then a warm, flakery, buttery, cinnamony apple pie with a pound of Ben and Jerry's vanilla ice cream. Go out on a high, Wasim, why not? For how it'll be samosa, then beef biryani, salads, and then um ali. And skork, I like this. My last meal will cover a full day. For starters, I have a full English breakfast. Main course, I want roasted lamb with rice, pumpkin, and green beans and dessert. I want English-style fish and chips, and then, yeah, maybe some apple pie and ice cream for later. What about you? You can be cheeky like Patrick saying, last meal, Chinese longevity soup. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.